Tēnā koutou no mai haere mai. Welcome to Q&A. I'm Jack Tang. Zero cases of COVID-19 in Aotearoa. Coronavirus has been eliminated for now. We will almost certainly see cases here again. And that is not a sign that we have failed. It is a reality of this virus. Tonight we ask what comes next in our COVID response and if it's time to relax some of New Zealand's border restrictions. Then New Zealand First has a new candidate in Northland. And we don't want to be like the Peter Dunn, the Jim Anderton, or the Māori Party swallowed like Jonah in some sort of large whale. Two hours and 14 minutes, that's how long until you can hit the nightclub dance floor or high-five strangers in the street. We are about to be at level one. We have no active cases of COVID-19 in New Zealand. This on a day when global cases passed 7 million. But for all the pressure to move, is it the right call? Professor Michael Baker from Otago University is with us this evening. Tēnā koe, welcome to Q&A. Kia Jack. It feels like we have gone full circle in a sense. You were with us right at the very beginning of this crisis. As we move to alert level one, do you feel comfortable with that decision? I, I think it's a good decision. I mean, this is a balance of benefits and risks. And at a certain point, we do have to relax these controls. And as long as we're going into this with our eyes open, uh, we're prepared for uh, outbreaks in the future that may occur. Um, but no, I'm, I'm feeling more and more comfortable with it. The Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says it is inevitable there will be more cases of COVID-19 in New Zealand. Do you share that expectation? I think we have to plan for that. I mean, this is a tough virus. Um, other countries that have gone down the same containment path and are generally succeeding have also had setbacks. There have been outbreaks in Singapore, South Korea, even small outbreaks in Australia. So we can't, we need to appreciate um, that this is a, a tough virus to fully eliminate. But we have achieved it, and I think that's a huge achievement for this country. I didn't think we would get rid of the virus as fast as we have. What are the big risks for New Zealand from this point moving forward? Well, I think the general concern about complacency, I think uh, as long as our borders um, are partially open, which they always have been, there is a risk the virus will get reintroduced. We're moving into winter when the virus is more transmissible. And of course, now at level one, we have big indoor social events, mm. and that's the environment where the virus does spread very easily. They are making some changes at our borders. That 14-day quarantine requirement will stay in place. But as well as that, anyone who arrives in New Zealand will be tested for COVID-19, as well as staff who are working at the airport on the front line. Is that sufficient? Are those fail-safe measures? That's very good, but everyone in health protection knows that, that errors will happen, and that's why you have this idea of a, a multi-barrier approach. And we have that. I mean, we have additional contact tracing and lots of testing if things go wrong. But I think there are other things we can do if we look at what's worked overseas. Um, much of the world now uses uh, uh, fabric uh, face masks as a key defence against this virus, and I think this is something we need to look at in New Zealand. Can you just tell us a bit more about that? The World Health Organisation has adjusted its advice on face masks. What would you like to see in New Zealand? 
Well, I think as a country, I think we need to get used to the idea that face masks are needed in some circumstances. And uh, we are suggesting that, for example, face masks, on, obviously on international flights, domestic flights, and potentially in public transport in the winter months, because it isn't just a protection against COVID-19, which we think, of course, is eliminated in New Zealand now, but it also protects against other viruses such as influenza, which still kills around 500 New Zealanders in a typical winter. So you would like to see, even once COVID-19 is no longer causing problems in other countries as well, New Zealanders, as a matter of courtesy or normal practice, wearing fabric masks on public transport? Yeah, I think particularly in winter, it's a useful precaution. I mean, in many countries now around the world, this is just regarded as personal hygiene, um, just as people put on sunblock on a sunny day to protect their mm. skin. So it's not an unusual, it's kind of a routine activity in many countries. Do you wear a mask? I've started wearing masks in some situations. And would you feel comfortable tomorrow getting on a packed bus and making your way into work? Yes, I actually cycle, but um, yes, certainly, if I'm on a bus over winter in New Zealand, particularly this winter coming up, I'll be wearing a face mask. What other changes would you like to see in New Zealand off the back of COVID-19? Yeah, well, I think this is a great moment to reflect on the, um, what we've achieved so far and um, do an evaluate, a rapid evaluation of the pandemic response and then look at what changes we need to really take us um, over the next 18 months, which are going to be quite tough, I think, for all countries. And one change I think that is really overdue is to have a national public health agency, uh, a New Zealand Centre for Disease Control. And we're really one of the only Western countries that doesn't have a specialist national public health agency. And I think we've, had a, we've been winding down our public health capacity for decades. And um, really, we've seen some, we've had major warnings that it's not fit for purpose. Uh, we had the Havelock North Campylobacter outbreak. Last year, we had our largest ever measles epidemic. And now we've got COVID-19. So I think it's time, in fact, it's overdue to have a national specialist agency that focuses on disease prevention and control. And are there digital tools that we can prepare now that would have us better prepared for outbreaks in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, some countries are now looking at um, smart cards, um, which are Bluetooth enabled, and they can provide a good record of your contacts. And I think uh, there are people in New Zealand developing this technology. I think that's going to be a key um, device to assist our uh, response, so our contact tracing response if we need it. As opposed to a contact tracing app. Yeah, well, they have um, shown themselves to have fairly limited functionality. And some countries now are actually not pursuing that technology because of its, of its limitations. Professor, what happens to COVID-19 now? Will it remain in the world for years to come? Once we have a vaccine, will it be totally mm. eradicated? Well, it's going to be tough to eradicate. Uh, Really, uh, we already live with several coronaviruses that cause a common cold and that circulate constantly. And I think most 
microbiologists are expecting that COVID-19 will go the same way. So we're going to have to live with it. But actually, um, the main thing is making sure it's not a, health, a major health problem anymore. So it may be a combination of antivirals and vaccines that ultimately eliminate it as a serious health threat. And finally, this has been a trying few months for you and your colleagues, I'm sure. Do public health officials party? How do you celebrate no active cases in New Zealand? <laughs> yes, well, I think there will be a level one party coming up. I think we've all um, earned it. In fact, the whole country's earned it. So now really is the time to celebrate. And then we can start to think about what next for New Zealand. Just don't forget to wash your hands. Professor Michael Baker, tēnā we really appreciate your time. Life inside New Zealand should return to more or less what it was before the virus. But should we be letting more people into the country, especially those who can contribute to our economic recovery? Judith Collins on that next. And then later, the stock market is soaring, retail spending's better than expected, but just temper that excitement. Still some economic pain to come, and, and so I guess we wouldn't cry victory yet. Hokimai and all, welcome back to Q&A. We might almost be at level one, but New Zealand's border is still closed. Even with quarantine and testing, the only people allowed in are Kiwis and their family members or people who are deemed to be essential workers. That's how the Avatar film crew was granted entry. There is growing frustration in some we have spoken to, though. People who work in New Zealand, people who own businesses and pay tax in New Zealand and agree to do quarantine, but aren't being allowed in. Numbers we have obtained show that from more than 2,000 of those exemption applications, just 10% have been approved. Among those still waiting to be allowed in are 150 foreigners working on the American Magic America's Cup bid. They have offered to do double quarantine and to pay for it themselves. The minister responsible for the decisions, Phil Twyford, has been criticised for not clearly publicising the criteria for economic border exemptions. He refused to come on the show this evening, but National's Economic Development spokesperson Judith Collins is here. Tēnā koe. Oh, good evening, Jack. What's the problem? Well, the problem is, is that there seems to be very little um, clarity around who is allowed into New Zealand under these economic exemptions. And I've asked the minister quite clearly about this, and he said, oh, there's, it depends whether it's urgent, if it's essential, all these sorts of things. Um, but then he said it's also on a case-by-case -case basis. Well, that sounds awfully like ad hoc to me. So there are a lot of people wanting to be able to have some clarity to make big business decisions, but also we are in a situation where we can claim some victory in terms as a country um, of the, for the battle of COVID-19 at this stage. Mm. But we are in for an enormous uh, battle when it comes to our economy and for jobs. Let's talk about clarity. So, so uh, we managed to get the exemption uh, criteria from the Minister's office this afternoon. I'll burn through these very quickly. So these are for people who want to come in and work in New Zealand, who have a visa. So the role or job could not be done by a New Zealander. There is an urgent need for the workers at this time. The worker is critical to the response to COVID-19, maintaining critical infrastructure, or there will be very significant economic benefits resulting from the exemption. 
Those are reasonable, aren't they? Well, yes, and you'd like to see them applied reasonably, wouldn't you, with some clarity as well. So if you're looking at the America's Cup, for instance, uh, those particular teams, they're bringing in a tremendous amount of economic development mm. to New Zealand. We're looking at March next year up to, according to the ministry uh, itself, up to $6 billion um, and up to 8,000 jobs. That's an enormous benefit to New Zealand at a time when we have so lost so much of our tourism market. We have, and we've lost so many jobs. This is, this is one of the problems that people will see in yeah. this, right? They will say, why do we have people who have working visas that were issued last year or in the early part of this year who aren't in New Zealand at the moment, why are we giving those people jobs instead of maintaining those jobs for New Zealanders? Well, if you're looking at the team, um, teams involved in the America's Cup, these are not jobs that uh, you or I could generally pop no, out but and this, do. But, I mean, so they're specialist yeah. jobs. And, but also, this is a huge economic event for this country. That's why everyone got so excited. That's why the government put money into it. That's why there are special rules. But you appreciate we, we do need to try and look after some jobs for New Zealanders rather than bringing in people who will simply do them for less pay. Well, absolutely. And, um, but I'd also say to you the best way for New Zealand as a country that requires export and tourism and export, for instance, in our, our tertiary education system, mm. we need to do that because we are only 5 million people and we're a long, long way away from everyone else. You heard Professor Michael Baker. How do you balance risking our COVID-free status with the economic benefits of allowing more people into the country? Well, I thought he made some very good points. And if you're looking at that, we also need to be aware, and he rightly pointed out, that we lose 500 people a year to the winter flu. Um, so clearly, New Zealand has had an outstanding result in the health um, effects of COVID-19. But we also, if we really wanted to stop all road deaths would have no road transport either. So we need to be able to balance this, but at the same time, nobody in New Zealand, I think, is running around saying, oh, COVID-19 was something we could have, you know, stood. No, we needed to do that. Mm -hmm. But we are now in for a much bigger battle, and that bigger battle is the fact that our economy is now going to suffer, which means mm. people's jobs. We lost 1,000 jobs announced today from the warehouse. Yeah. That's just an example. That is happening all around the country. So when we think about our isolation, our physical isolation as a country, that has worked outstandingly well for us from the health aspect mm. because we could close our borders. But my view is, Jack, is that we, it's going to work very much against us as we're trying to rebuild our economy. Right, what was a strength in the health response yes. is a weakness in the economic response. Has the government done a good job? I think in terms of the health response, it right. would be very churlish to say anything other than it has been a good job done. How far would you go then? Aside from letting in more people who are working or own businesses in New Zealand, would you let in foreign students? Well, I think that that does need to occur as long as there is quarantine and as long as we are very alert to the fact that we have things like the contact tracing. People need to understand. I mean, contact yeah. tracing is not something that we could have done effectively without apps and without um, a, a real commitment to it. So but how, how soon for foreign students? Because when, well, we, when we spoke with the Education Minister a couple of weeks ago, he said they were looking at the first semester of 2021. Well, I, look, I think it's got to be done safely. So in terms of the actual timing, once we know that we've got measures in place, then we should 
um, move to that. But we should also be looking at the Trans-Tasman bubble, and I would yeah. like to see the Pacific Islands included, because countries like Samoa closed their borders a month before New Zealand did. They had no cases whatsoever of COVID-19, and they are a country, for instance, that could really do with some tourism from New Zealand. Isn't the concern, though, that someone in New Zealand is probably likelier to be exposed to someone arriving here with COVID-19 and that they would take it to a country that has an insufficiently equipped health system? And wouldn't it be nice to let Samoa make their own decision on that? What about tourists? Well, I think we need would you, tourism. No, 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 but would you let, it, would you let in someone... If, if someone is coming here for three months and is prepared to do two weeks of quarantine and do the COVID-19 test, should we be letting them in? Well, I think we certainly already are, aren't we, with the Avatar people who are coming here. They've already come here. Um, they've come from California, a place of which seems to be prolific in this COVID-19. So the government has certainly made the decision in terms of their situation. We have to be really realistic here. Mm. This country cannot simply just keep printing money that our grandchildren will be paying back. We need to be getting back into work as fast as we possibly can and as safely as we possibly can. Quarantine is the other issue. We asked um, Minister Twyford's office today if they could tell us the capacity for quarantining in New Zealand. They turned us on to the Ministry of Health instead. They said they didn't have those numbers available. But, but when it comes to quarantining and putting people in hotels for two weeks at a time, shouldn't New Zealanders and returning New Zealanders be the priority? Well, I think they are already, and many of them have been in uh, what's called self-isolation, which we've noticed that most people actually complied with it. Mm. Um, but yes, I would have thought so. Um, and I also think that there is an opportunity for those who are coming here for work, for instance, that they might wish to pay for their own quarantine. Should that be a requirement? Oh, well, I thought that was pretty obvious, that for many people you'd expect that. Certainly the America's Cup people are prepared to pay for it. Um, I would hope that the Avatar people are paying for it. If people are coming here to, um, for economic development purposes, of course. Finally then, two weeks in, has Nationals' new leadership team been a game changer? Well, I think it's been really good for um, National, and I'm certainly enjoying myself. And um, I just think it's, uh, it's just a, a, an opportunity to, to focus more on the economy and uh, also our way out of that as a country in terms of what we're going into. So, have yeah, they done a good, good job, though? They have done a good job, and um, I'm enjoying very much working with uh, Todd and Nikki and the rest of the team. Todd Muller, out of 10 to this point. I'm going to give him an 8.5 today. So what would have made um, it 10? <laughs> What's that? What would have made it 10? Oh, well, once you win the election, then he'll get yeah, a 10. Yeah, but to this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, he's, I think he's doing well, and it's a, it's a very tough job. As you know, Jack, um, everybody uh, thinks it's a, a bit of a dawdle until they get it and I always say to people leader of the opposition is not a prize it is a burden mm. We'll keep that comment in mind I'm sure <laughs> for the future. National Economic Development Spokesperson Judith Collins, Tenakwe thank you for your time. If you or someone at your workplace has been affected by the border restrictions we'd be interested in hearing from you and just so you know I spoke with the representative of the American Magic America's Cup team today officials have told them to expect a decision on their exemption application sometime this week but they have not had anything that allows them to plan their entry into New Zealand at this stage. They say they support the America's Cup going ahead here in March, but if they're not allowed in soon, there will be tough questions to ask about if the event can continue as planned. Jenny, what do you have for us on tonight? Hi Jack, tonight just a couple more hours before alert level one. As Kiwis celebrate no active cases, the Prime Minister warns we'll almost certainly see the virus return here again. 
Loosened restrictions are relief for many businesses, but why is it unlikely to spell the end of redundancies? Details of new measures at our borders as those entering the country become our biggest risk, plus the return of the crowds. What you need to know as music and sporting venues reopen for the masses. Do join us for all that and tomorrow's weather at 10.45. Kia ora Jenny, thank you. We have had some uh, interesting emails and correspondence already today. I just want to read this one very quickly from Debbie. Hi there guys, I have a friend who has been in New Zealand on a two-year skilled worker visa. His ill-fated trip home to Cape Town, South Africa to visit family two weeks before lockdown has left him without income and his New Zealand employer is considering employing someone else if he can't get back here soon. He is desperate to get back. Thanks for that, Debbie. Kore mai, send us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at NZQ&A. You can post on Facebook or email us at Q&A at tvnz.co.nz. Next. Without a doubt, there have been incidents, and I'm sure there have been influences in the police that they are not proud of. As New Zealanders debate racism, we ask Shane Jones if he sees problems in our own police force. And mortgage rates are already at record lows, but will they go lower? Welcome back. It was no great surprise when Shane Jones formally put up his hand to run in Northland in September's election. The electorate is considered New Zealand First's best chance at winning a seat, which would mean they wouldn't need 5% of the party vote to stay in Parliament. I asked Shane Jones, in a National Party stronghold, how he rates his chances. Well, obviously I'm following the footsteps of my leader, Winston Peters, uh, born and bred in the North, and there'll be a clear choice for the voters of Northland. Uh, my track record as the uh, Regional Development Minister against um, the two other MPs, Willow and Matt King, but most importantly, a chance to lay down the kaupapa, the issues, the policies, and what's important for Northland, and avoid too much of the uh, beltway, niggardly sort of stuff that really, quite frankly, puts a lot of Northlanders off. You say you're following in the footsteps of your party leader. Last I checked, he lost last time. But the reality is uh, our caucus got 7.5% of the vote and our caucus voted to make Labour the coalition partner and Jacinda Ardern the Prime Minister. So we've got a proud track record for people who back me and back New Zealand first. She'll be at the centre of the architecture of a future mm. government. Okay. Now I'm not. I'm not trying to be cruel here. I've gone through. I've gone through some of your previous. <laughs> you're already smiling. Electoral competitions. You contested Northland in 2005, 2008. You lost. You contested Tamaki Makoto in 2011. You lost Whangarei in 2017. Is fifth time the charm? <laughs> well, look. When you stand for office uh, in areas where Labor's never ever held it in terms of uh, Whangarei and Northland for a long time. And the reality in Tamaki Makoto, it was a close, uh, closely run race. But um, I'm very optimistic, I'm positive. The reality is that the North has done very well out of this government, but the North has every right to expect that we get out there and we put our wares before the people and do what's the best for Northland. And I genuinely believe a New Zealand first sitting MP will not only restore, but um, give durability to the fortunes of Northland. I just, I just want to get a, a real sense, though. Are you, are you contesting this because you see yourself as a real chance in this electorate, or are you simply contesting this to push New Zealand First's agenda and to, and to campaign for the party vote? 
Now, look, I've been encouraged uh, by a whole host of Northlanders to put my hand up uh, as someone born and bred in Awanui with a, a track record of an international education, a lot of industry experience, and obviously the blend of the North, the Māori, the Dalmatian and the Pākehā. I mean, in many respects, where I came from in Kaitaia, Awanui, those are the foundation influences that made uh, much of Northland. Let's go back to 2017. Willow Jean Prime, the Labour candidate, won 8,500 votes. Winston Peters lost to Matt King by 1,500 votes. So if just 1,500 of Willow Jean's or 1,600 had gone across to Winston Peters, he would have retained that seat. The Prime Minister has ruled out a cup of tea deal, but if something similar were to come across your table, would you be open to accepting? Well, look, I'll leave that to the leader of the party. The, the Prime Minister, Jacinda, has been uh, very clear. She doesn't see it in the interests of Labour at this stage to so-called do a deal, but that's their choice. What about national? Well, um, Todd Muller seems to be a tad more pragmatic in terms of his relationship with our leader and the New Zealand First Party. But look, the most important thing is have a good team, have some good policies, a brilliant track record. The thick end of a billion dollars has been dedicated from the area in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the southern part of the Northland lecturate right to the top. Admittedly, a substantial percentage of that is the $600-odd million which we've actually found, which is real cash, to build the four-lane highway going south from Whangarei. So you think Todd Miller has left that door ajar. Could you work with National? Well, I don't want to leap to any conclusions, Jack. The first thing we want to do is convince Kiwis that we deserve to be in Parliament. And I'm very confident that swathes of Northland will actually agree that uh, I'm their man. But come on, Kiwis are going to go to the polls thinking about what happens the day after the election. Give us a sense as to your relationship with the National Party's new leadership team. Well, no, we all know that Simon and Paula had a great deal of animus, of hostility, to, uh, almost at a personal level, towards New Zealand First. And the current leader, uh, Todd, seems to be a lot more pragmatic. But let's ask the voters first whether or not they want New Zealand First to come back to Parliament. And if we're blessed with that opportunity, then we'll see how the, uh, the votes have been cast. And I don't think anyone should expect much different from either myself, our leader, or our caucus. The question of delivery has plagued this government at times. What will you deliver for Northland? Well, first thing I'm going to stand on the record, which is future-proofing the infrastructure of Northland. I only need to talk about the drought, which was an awful situation. We've actually gone out and found money and we're building water storage. We're resta restoring uh, rail. We're restoring the roads, the four-lane highway and a host of other maritime facilities. Probably the outstanding issue is the relocation of the ports of Auckland. We're ready to go. We had a very robust report completed by a group of experts led by Wayne Brown. Unfortunately, our Labour colleagues wanted some additional analysis done, and at this stage it's uh, locked somewhere in the digestive tract of the Ministry of Transport. Is there any chance that either Labour or National will come out before the election and support moving Auckland's port to Northland? Well, I think there's a strong possibility that that can take place. The Prime Minister's already said it's not if, but it's when. Now, uh, National seems to be singing from two different hymn sheets. Obviously, John Key, the former leader, wants it gone by tomorrow. 
But uh, in the event that we're back, a bottom line is definitely going to be the relocation of the ports of Auckland to the north. That's with either major party as a coalition partner? Yeah, I mean, that's the genius of MMP, a party like ours. And we don't want to be like the Peter Dunn, the Jim Anderton, or the Māori Party, swallowed like Jonah in some sort of large whale. We want to actually go out, demonstrate that uh, distinctively. We've got a blend of power, influence and policy, and we deserve to um, endure. And that's the whole purpose of me standing in Northland and contributing to a nationwide party vote campaign as well. Yeah, I'm sure most people, uh, having kept a close eye on things over the last two or three years, would assert that New Zealand First has done pretty well out of the coalition agreement. But I just want to be really clear on that point. If you find yourself after the election in coalition negotiations, a bottom line for New Zealand First will be moving the port from Auckland to Northland. I can assure you, if we are blessed with the opportunity to form another government, the view of our caucus is that a bottom line is that it, the port must be relocated. Not some fanciful scheme of building an island in the Monaco Harbour, not some wild dream about building um, some sort of uh, infrastructure man-made in the middle of the Firth of Thames, but rather using rail and an expanded four-lane highway up to Marsden Point to the Whangarei port. Finally, I wanted to ask you about the Black Lives Matter movement at the moment and indeed um, some comments that have been made about New Zealand's law enforcement authorities over the last few days. Do you think the New Zealand police is affected by systemic racism? I think the New Zealand police, they govern with the goodwill and the consent of the people. They have exclusively more power and authority than any other organ in the state other than the High Court, which can um, haul them up and check whether or not they've been excessive in their use of power on behalf of the state. Without a doubt, there have been incidents, and I'm sure there have been influences in the police that they are not proud of. But we're now a far more multicultural society. We're far, uh, there's a great deal of ethnic diversity, and the police really have to learn to deal with that. Or I fear they'll lose a lot of the goodwill that people like me, parents, and the public have of them. So is that a yes? Oh, look, I don't want to personalise it, but we've all seen instances where the, uh, the police, um, in dealing with ethnic minorities and even dealing with Māoridom, they could have done a heck of a lot better. And I need go no further than the balls up of the Tuhoi raids. That's Northland candidate and New Zealand First MP Shane Jones. Coming up, we're a world beater when it comes to eliminating COVID-19, but does that mean our economic future is improving too? Pokemon all, welcome back to Q&A. Zero active cases, alert level one. When you consider the health response to COVID-19, New Zealand is in a far better place tonight than many expected us to be at this point in the crisis. I asked the Deputy Governor of the Reserve Bank, Jeff Baskand, if that means our economy will bounce back stronger as well. Well, it certainly is encouraging that, that we're doing so well on the health front, and, and that's really an underpinning for a good economic recovery. The challenge, of course, is New Zealand is a, a trading nation. Uh, flows of people, you know, migrants and, and tourists and students and so forth are really important to us. So we're still going to have closed borders for a while. 
and of course we've had quite a lot of a, a significant economic shock. So yeah, there's some really good encouragement there that, that, that domestic spending is starting again, but I think there's still, still some economic pain to come, and, and so I guess we wouldn't cry victory yet. We'd still mm. say that there's still you know, going to be quite a while that we've got to work our way through. And from, from the latest forecasts you were seeing, how bad is that pain likely to be? You know, we, we think back to the budget and Treasury was forecasting unemployment to peak at around 10%, but what are you expecting at the moment? Well, we painted a, a range of scenarios when we did our last set of, of econo last economic outlook. And uh, most of those, has, if you like, had a downside tinge to them rather than an upside. Mm. We did talk about the upside potential, but, but really, once you get uh, firms failing and unemployment sort of starting to roll, then, it, then it, it really does have a bit of a downward spiral for a while. And, and so, yeah, we too were, were looking at unemployment of around 9% or more. Uh, I think uh, we'll just have to watch uh, the data and see how things unfold. But I think there's still a degree of caution out there. Businesses and households will, will not be spending freely for some time. They're uncertain about their outlook. And so there's a degree to which, you know, uh, I think we need a few more months to see really how things pick up before we, we should um, be optimistic about a, a recovery. Yeah, we've heard that word unprecedented so many times over the last couple of months throughout the COVID-19 crisis. At what point do you get a really clear picture, aside from all the forecasts, when will you know for sure just how much and how this has affected us? Well, it's a hard question, isn't it? Because I suppose there's always a bit of uncertainty in the, in the way this rolls out around the world, as, as I said, I and mean, where we're dependent upon trade with China, with Europe, mm -hmm. with um, the United States. And a number of those countries have still got quite, you know, high infection rates. Um, we're still going to struggle to do uh, business and, and, and open up with them. So we, we're getting more certainty all the time. If, if we can open up with Australia and, and potentially some others, that'll be, that'll be wonderful. But uh, um, we, we think we've still got some months ahead of, of uh, some economic pain, and, uh, but, but not as much as, as it might have been, if you like. So we're encouraged there. But I don't think there's a lot of um, new investment going on or um, exp expansive activity. What there is is a little bit of, of uh, consumption starting to happen again. Mm. Uh, I think each month goes by, we'll, we'll, we'll get a bit more confidence and a bit more certainty. That's the key thing, is, is, is let it build, um, build consistently and, and see it improve over time. You know, for a tumultuous period, we have seen a couple of weeks of, of, of very steady growth in public exchanges, both in the New Zealand stock market and in the US stock markets. What does that say to you? Oh, equity markets are, uh, are very much forward-looking, aren't they? I mean, they, they, they love to, to swing on the, on the prospects of things getting better, and then they go down very sharply when, when, they, when they fear the worst. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're more buoyant. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, th I think there's at least a couple of things going on. Uh, interest rates are very low, so, you know, people would put their, look somewhere else to put their money. They tend to, to sort of transfer it from um, savings into, into equities. And then there's this, this sort of hope and expectation that the world will open up and we'll see the economies um, improve and, and not be as, as bad as we've wanted. But, but as I say, I, I, I'm probably a little bit more of a, a, a wait and see uh, 
that um, there's still a fair bit of the US and a fair bit of Europe that's, um, that, that have got quite a hard road to go ahead, I think, for, for a period of time. Jeff, when I think back to the start of this crisis, there was an expectation from the Reserve Bank and from the government that retail banks step up in this crisis. They have had several years of enjoying enormous profits in New Zealand. To this point, have they stepped up sufficiently? Well, we've, we've certainly been encouraging them to, to take a long-term view of their customers' needs. And uh, I think you've seen some signs of that, which is really encouraging. You've, you've seen quite a lot of mortgages that have been um, restructured, interest um, deferred, uh, repayments been stretched out. Mm. Uh, you've seen um, recently mortgage rates come down quite a bit more, so that's encouraging. Now, we're, we're pleased to see that, uh, that there's more competition in that mortgage market again. Uh, but, but I think actually banks are very much like I was just describing. Their hard yards are ahead of us, and they've got to keep doing that for the next um, six months, next year, 18 months, because they will still see more business failures and they'll probably still see some mortgage um, uh, defaults over the, that next six months when people unemployment bites and, and, and jobs aren't there. So, so I think, uh, yeah, banks are going to have to be patient and, and have a really good long-term view for quite a while. Ahead. But, but, but up until this point, are you, are you satisfied that those interest rates are as low as they should be? Oh, there's certainly been some progress recently. We're, we actually are seeing record low interest rates mm. now. Uh, we're actually finally seeing some rates that, that look really competitive with, with the rates that you could get in, in Australia at last. Um, so, yeah, it's encouraging to see a bit more of that coming through. But it's, it's a bit hard to tell because, I mean, credit demand is very low. We had, you know... Uh, a huge fall in, in um, the housing market in terms of, of sales and, and, and mortgage uh, borrowing in April. Mm. Uh, businesses really haven't been seeking new investment. They've just been trying to, to look after themselves. So I think, I think the time is still ahead of us, really, to answer that question. And, and uh, we can't just judge it on, on the last couple of months. So we're going to judge it on the next uh, six months, how well, how well the banks look after their customers through that period. Let's stay with housing for a moment. And considering those scenarios you mentioned earlier, in one of your scenarios, one of the bleaker options that we may face is a drop in house prices of about 10% in New Zealand. At what point do you start getting concerned, given so many New Zealanders have the vast majority of their wealth tied up in housing? Yes, we do expect a, a decline in the housing market. Um, we, we, we find it hard to believe with, with a lower immigration, with um, prices where they were so high in the first place, and with, with households suffering from, from unemployment, that, that we'll get the same buoyancy in the housing market. So, so yeah, probably a 9 10% fall in house prices is, is almost our, our baseline assumption. Um, and, and potentially it could be worse than that. Uh, at that level, um, households are generally OK in terms of net equity uh, as a result of the uh, restrictions we put on, on them having to have enough uh, deposit in the mm. last few years. Most households have got 20% uh, equity or more in their households, in, in their houses. Uh, so actually, it would need quite a sharp fall, uh, a much bigger fall in house prices than that to leave households really stretched. 
Probably the bigger problem is can they service the loans? Uh, have they got the income? And that's where banks have to help them out and say, well, OK, you've got a temporary spell of, of no employment, but, but we can see you're getting back into the workforce, we can see you're paying your loan in six months' time, and, and we'll, be, we'll carry you through that period. Jeff, we're now at alert level one, fingers crossed, that means the worst of the health crisis is past us. But just how important is easing those border restrictions when you think of our economic recovery in the coming months? Well, New Zealand is um, really one of the countries with a big, of a developed country. It's, it's got a really strong reliance on tourism and international education and, and even, even trade. You know, you, you need people to come and, and do business together. You need them with uh, scientists and researchers and technologists to come and transfer knowledge. You can, you can do a lot um, by video and phone, as we've seen, but I, I think having a Borders open is, is a really important part of long-term growth. There's no doubt about that. We think at level one, we've still probably got a five percent to maybe you know eight nine percent uh, loss of, of income to the economy. Uh, so yeah, it still hurts, um, but. Uh, Obviously, that's where a lot of the risks come from when there's infection in the rest of the world. So, so that's a hard decision for government about how they open up borders over time. That's Jeff Baskin, the uh, Deputy Governor of the Reserve Bank.